Action Fanatics, welcome to a make good edition of the Bulletproof Podcast. I'm your host, Chris the Brain. Joining me, Chad Cruz. And Chad, we are going back and doing something we promised for our last episode. Yeah, we are. You never told me that we were going to try to make it good, though, because I always shoot for average. Well, and you you succeed there for sure. Okay, I was going to say I rarely attain it, but thank you for that. Appreciate it. You're welcome. And joining us for this Judgment Night discussion, it is RTG, the real Todd Gaines, back on the Bulletproof Podcast. RTG, you were actually the one who, who suggested this movie for us. I did, and I'm excited to be here. Excited for it to be like a make good podcast. Obviously, RTG is one of the contributors on BulletproofAction.com, and you could check out his reviews. And you got anything you're looking forward to uh, coming up on the website, uh, RTG? Oh, definitely, man. Uh, one movie I'm super excited about is Spiral with uh, Chris Rock and Samuel Jackson. It's a reinvention of the Saw franchise. I'm Ryan. super excited that also um oh Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Super pumped for that. Here at uh, Bulletproof Action, we try to bring you the films before they become to the theaters or VOD. So I would say those are the two I'm the most excited about. I'm probably not as excited to review that Endangered Species movie from the same director that did Rogue, but I'll be bringing that one to you guys as well. It might surprise you. Yeah, yeah, it, it might. It might. I mean, I think Rogue was a huge success for our site. So if the same audience comes back, because my review for Rogue was negative, so if the same audience comes back for Endangered Species, then it should be a good day for Bulletproof Action. Well, that's always, you know, we love that. We love when people come check out the site. Again, it is BulletproofAction.com. Something new each and every day. Reviews, features, we've got it all. And of course, the podcast. You can find out all about the podcast on there as well. Uh, so let's get into it, guys. Let's talk about Judgment Night, released on October 15th, 1993. Thing opens up with the uh, a look at suburban Chicago. We got the song Fallen by Teenage Fan Club and De La Soul bumping. And what a jam that is. I forgot about that song until I, I rewatched this movie. And Chad, I know you, like me, you have not seen this movie in a long, long time. Yeah, I hadn't seen it since probably the mid-90s. Um, and I, I, you said you had forgotten about the song. I forgot that it was in the movie until you just mentioned it. Uh, but and I don't know if I was even familiar with the song when I when I heard it just a few days ago either. But I do remember Daily La Soul and... Uh, and the film, it, it certainly had like a, a place uh, back then. I remember watching it as a kid several times, but but it's one that I, you know, I watched it a few times and then it kind of like years went by and I never thought about it again. Right. And then when RTG brought it up, I initially was like, Judgment Night, what the hell is that? And then it came to me, Emilio Estevez, oh my God, yeah, I remember that film. I, was, I, I remember liking it as a kid, so. Yeah, I had not seen it. I would say 1994 when it was out on video yeah. and I rented it and I enjoyed it. But again, I was like you. I never watched it again. Not because yeah. I didn't like it. It just, I don't know. It just. It was still fresh then because I, I couldn't yeah. remember what happened in the movie. I remember that. Uh, what's his name? It was in at the. Uh, yeah. You know, what's his name? The villain. Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary. I remember Dennis Leary was in it. I couldn't remember his name, of course. but Right. RTG. Is yeah. this like one of on a regular rotation for you or did this just pop in your head too from, from way back? Uh, Judgment night. I was first saw in the theater in 93. It only played for a few weeks. I believe someone got murdered and they blamed the murder on the film. So they stopped uh, mm. distribution of it. Uh, I have a, a memory of that film. I had my feet up and an usher told me to put them down. I don't know why I remember that shit, but uh, I was, I guess horse playing in the theater according to the Probably usher. Because it lead, led to your first arrest, but that's all right. Yes, that's for another story. Uh, I had the DVD, which I probably watched a few times. And I know I did a letterbox review for this film maybe four years ago. I look back and I do own the Blu-ray, which I just checked out earlier this morning. So it's, it's a film that I like a lot for many different reasons. I wouldn't say it's... I mean, it's hard for me to have any movie in my rotation just because... I'm always covering 
new movies now, you right. know, but if I have the op- opportunity, I would gladly watch. It would definitely be a 365 movie. And I've talked about that, you know, pick one movie you can watch, you know, for one day, for the rest of your life, each day, it would definitely be one of the 365 movies I would pick to watch. All right, well, let's get into it. So sure. we meet we meet the uh, main star, uh, Frank, played by Emilio Estevez, as Chad mentioned. And he's about to go out uh, a guy's night out. Finally going out for a guy's night out after months. Um, he's leaving his wife and his baby daughter behind. And uh, Linda, his wife, not a fan of his horny and immature friends. And Chad and Todd, you can both answer this since you both are married with children do your wives like any of your friends Ooh, um yeah you know i think so there's probably one or two of them most of them i'd say no so i i definitely uh, empathize with with uh, frank in this film but uh you know you you when you're kind of your first time father you got that new baby it's a confusing time it's it's all new you really don't know how to act. And then when all your friends are all untethered, they're all running around, just, you know, slinging wiener around, you know, right? you don't understand, like they don't understand what you have. So I can see why he would feel the way he feels, where, how he feels, but his wife also, you know, like she was right to think the way she thought about his friends. Cause they seem pretty terrible Yeah, how for a married you? man with a child. Right. Right. How about you RTG? Yeah, I don't think she would approve if I wanted to go out like three months after a kid's been born and, you know, we've been stuck in the house on baby duty the whole time. But I would say that for the most part, friends, eh, eh, they're okay. You know, uh, she doesn't, I don't think she hates any of them, but it's not like I'm spending time with them because I'm always reviewing movies. So, And, and also, yeah. Bray, you're my best friend. Yeah, that, that's a sad state of affairs. Uh, so let's talk about Frank's friends. Uh, we, we meet Mike, who is the ladies man played by Mr. Cuba Gooding Jr., who is really just starting to come into his own at this point in time. And then we meet Ray, who let me tell you something. The minute Ray shows up, I wanted him dead from like Jump Street. <laughs> Jeremy Piven, he shows up with a luxury RV. He's the loudmouth obnoxious friend uh yeah i did not care for this man at all yeah that's kind of the jerry jeremy piven of the early 90s and mid 90s maybe late 90s probably after that too but he he always seemed to play these weird characters like i was at pcu that was the first role where i didn't hate his guts like immediately i remember when he was in uh uh when he in very bad things and he was it was I'm like the sure. same character as this. He was just like this annoying, like he didn't do anything that he should do in the film. He always made bad decisions. And he was like the one friend that you really didn't like. And he plays the same role in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely was that horror film vibe where you have that one, at least one character you you're hoping they die. And and yeah. that was the case for Ray. A uh, thing about Jerry Van Piven's Jeremy Piven's character though is, and I, as I was watching the movie again, I could have swore he was going to take a line of coke, a hit of coke, you know, during the film. But I don't think he does cocaine the entire film. But he looks like the guy that would have coke on him. Yeah, you know, and he he's playing this stereotypical character, especially like when they're leaving, and he tells him he tells uh, Emilio Estevez's wife that he's going to like jump on her. You know, he's yeah. like, and like. I that could only imagine scene, someone saying that. Oh, it's it's hilarious, but could you imagine someone saying that today? They'd probably have them arrested for, you know, harassment or or worse. But it's like it's crazy as the movie goes on, the humor in the movie in a, in a very dark movie, they have these humorous scenes just sprinkled throughout. And really uh I don't blame you for wanting Jeremy Piven dead. So oh, he's he's the worst, and and I would believe he he snorted a few lines before he rolled up in his luxury because he also seems like the type of guy who would keep it to himself. Like he he don't want to share. <laughs> yeah, it fits his character too because I I feel like he plays this type of character really well. Yeah, 
And then rounding out the uh, foursome uh, that are going down to this big fight downtown is Frank's younger brother, John, played by Stephen Dorff. Um, and uh, it seems like there's some kind of uh, friction there. Was it between uh, Ray didn't like him or was it Mike that didn't like him? It was Ray. Uh, Piven didn't like him. Right. Of course. Of course. But the did jackass. you guys did you guys notice how young? Damn. St- I mean, Stephen Dorff's been in the game for a long time, but. Dorf is so young in this yes. movie. And yeah. it reminds me of that uh, Aerosmith uh, crying video with him and Alicia, Alicia Silverstone. They're probably filmed about the same time. Hmm. I mean, I mean, Dorf is, is just a, a little baby in this one. I mean, he's uh, yeah. It reminds he, me of how old I am now when I see him then. Yeah. You're at least three times his age. Thank you. That's probably but, not accurate. But, but also not. guys, this is another one of those like, you know, cliches that happen in a, in an action film or kind of like even a horror film, somebody's supposed to be there and they can't make it. So there's a replacement because one of Frank's friends was supposed to go, but he pulled out last minute and then we get John John got the fourth ticket. Yep. Yep. All right. So again, the the guys are all going to a, a big boxing fight uh downtown uh, but there's a traffic jam along the way uh so they're just watching on the tv because apparently this rv has a satellite dish i didn't see a satellite dish anywhere on there but maybe i wasn't looking hard enough um and then we get a little road rage situation rtg uh <laughs> and this is where john you know is like maybe we can see why ray doesn't like john because maybe john's a little troubled yeah and for the record i did see the satellite dish Okay. But the satellite dish disappears later in the film, so I guess maybe that's why. Then, yeah, old Stephen Dorff's a little a little hot headed, and he picks a fight with the. I guess is is it a Chicago redneck or like a, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. What's I mean? That's the best. Uh, and then Keep Mike comes out, and then old uh, Mike comes out there. Oh, Cooper Gooden Jr. and tries to uh, hit on this guy's girlfriend, and you can tell this this couple is probably. I don't know, maybe racist, maybe. But if you look at her, she still wants to fuck Cuba, Ju- Cuba Gooding Jr. Because, I mean, he just got this little swab and swagger to him. So I say uh, a kudos to his character. But yeah, these these two are just, eh, we'll call them white trash. We'll call them trailer trash or what, rednecks? Is What else can sure. we call them? Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're they're not probably nice people. And at the end... Uh, the guys get the last laugh because Cooper Gooding Jr. basically uh, fucks up that uh, fucks up that tool, and then he looks at his that guy's girl, and that girl, I mean, she has that look of I hate this guy, but I kind of want to fuck him too. I mean, that's just what I saw. Yeah, yeah. and then, but then you know, Frank, we we, we kind of see the maturity in Frank. He he, he kind of s- sneaks in there, and he, he slides in and he smooths things over, which it appears to me that that's what he's been doing for John his entire life. You know, John, John's the young, uh, hothead kid and Frank's the older brother. Who's always kind of having to, uh, bring him along to things and, and make sure he doesn't get his butt kicked. So, yeah, and, and just a quick question. What did Frank do? Like, what was his background was a, job? What did they he say? He was in the mighty ducks. Okay. He, so he yeah, was a yeah. hockey coach. Uh, yeah. So he's used to dealing with youth. Okay. Okay. Cause, cause they, cause they keep making him out as like, uh, like a badass, like the entire film. And I think they really needed someone for this role. Like I've read, like Emilio was like demanding like a huge salary because they needed him for this part or they would have to just scrap the whole movie and lose like 8 million bucks because he was like way down on the list for this action hero of the film. But since he was available, they took him. But I, and I'm just thinking, I mean, I mean, I like, I like his character. I mean, I like Emilio Estevez, but um, I was thinking like, what did he do before he had a wife and kid? I mean, was he, like some CIA operative or just some guy that <laughs> no, went and got into some barroom fights or. Yeah. I just, yeah. I think what I took from it is he was like John too. When he was John's age, he was yeah. getting in fights and he know like I've been down that road. It's not a good one. Right. And, and I think that's why John kind of, you know, even acts like, Hey, you're not my dad, but, but Frank kind of steps into that. Like, Hey, you know, you, you need to not do this basically. Tenfold. So then we get to Ray, big talking Ray decides he's going to go an alternate route. Uh, so this does not take these guys to the best place in the world, though, Chad. 
No, and there's probably I, I don't know a lot about Chicago, but there's probably plenty of places in Chicago that you could find yourself in deep trouble uh, now, and just as probably accurate back in 1993. But um, yeah, Halstead they, Street were the one man gang. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. They they turned down the wrong road and end up kind of uh, lost and in a bad bad part of town, and and they just kind of poke their heads out the window and, or they honk their horn or something. They do something stupid. They talk on the, the, the intercom thing and uh, they start talking to homeless people trying to figure out where the hell they're going. Yeah. Some winos were not the best for giving directions. Go figure. Uh, so then they start looking, they're like, okay, we'll get the map out. And that's when we see RTG that Ray's packing. Yeah. Yeah. Ray's got a uh, pistol with him and, I, you know, Ray has a few uh, uh, bad habits, I guess. He's a, I guess he likes to drink and drive. He likes to carry a gun. And, I, and I'm thinking of like, what are the laws, gun laws in Chicago? And I'm sure they're, you know, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty legal what he's doing right now. And, but I think that gun's going to play a vital part in the rest of the film. So it might've been a good thing that he was packing and, Maybe he should have been paying more attention to the road instead of looking at his gun. Well, yeah, that was the thing. You had all these, uh, you had three other guys in there, and he's fumbling around with the map. And then you hear the thud, mm-hmm. and uh oh, did we just hit somebody? So Frank, <laughs> of course, the responsible one, goes outside and checks, and he finds Teddy, played by Michael DiLorenzo, um, he's down, down and injured, and. Uh, so now they're like, okay, we need to call 911. And this is where we get shady Ray, Chad Cruz. Yeah. And it, as expected, Ray, the shady guy, acts shady once again. He he dials 911. He starts kind of going through things in his head. Okay. Uh, RV, insurance, drinking while driving, gun in the car. Okay. This isn't going to end well for me. So he hangs up and he tells everybody that he has no service uh, and essentially writes their their ticket to destruction for the rest of the film <laughs> right right that was the moment where they could have just helped out this guy and been on their way but instead because i'm sure the ambulance could have told him how the hell to get out of there yeah something well, would have happened there you know well this is also setting up his character arc i mean you oh. there's always yeah you know kind of like that point of no return like when Bodie shoots the cop in the robbery in Point Break, you know there's no coming back from there. And I guess we see Jeremy Piven's character when he doesn't dial 911 after he hits the uh, Michael DeLorenzo, that there's no coming back from his uh, sleaze baldness. Or it's that unforgivable sin that I like to bring up sometimes. And he's already committed it within the first 30 minutes of the film. So. You know, get it out yeah, of the way so, early. Right, get it out right, the way. Right. Get it out the way. If you're going to fuck up, fuck up early. All right. So <laughs> we go into. So now Frank's like, okay, well, we got to get this guy some help. So they bring him into the RV. And now they're finding out he had a lot worse things happen to him than get hit by the, the RV. He may not have actually even been hit by the RV. Right. Because uh, he's been shot and he's got a bag full of money. And uh, then he's telling him, hey, he being Teddy, the injured man pronouns pal teddy says there's guys after him and you know they're coming so well you know the guys are like they just think he's hysterical at this point or not sure exactly what the hell he's talking about then some cop cars are in the area so let's try to catch up with the cops and give the cops old teddy to take care of yeah only in chicago are the cops going to run from the bad guys right i mean they're going to run away from the fight well you know what was this one of the the cops are probably well, in route to another shooting. There you go. There That's you go. what I assume. Yeah. Like they yeah. were just going elsewhere and they were focused on that and they weren't worried about what the hell was going on around them. Obviously. Cause they ignored the, the beeping RV be- trying to catch up with them. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm sure there's beeping R- RVs every day on the streets of Chicago <laughs> and the Definitely. cops are like, man, we got, we got too much shit to put up with. Uh, we ain't got time for this. Keep on rolling. Yeah. Well, they or if they do, they're like, oh, that's just some stupid tourist. They can go to hell. We got our own people to worry about. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, they they should have known better 
to make that fucking turn, man. I mean, this is another, like, you know, a wrong turn in a film or, oh, this is a shortcut. It's never a shortcut. You're not going to get off the interstate to go into, like, God knows where. I mean, that that exit ramp was one of the, I mean, it, if I was in that, I would have said turn around right then and there, you know? I mean, because, I mean, that street was... Well, yeah, it looked like it was under construction or like it wasn't even really open. And he just decided, well, screw it. Obviously, they're not doing road work right now. I'm going through. Yeah, I mean, there's like 18 million people on that interstate. And they're the one car that tries to get off. I mean, it's got to tell you something. It does. It tells me it was a bad decision. And then we get uh, the RV ends up in a collision, which sends sends the whole thing into an alley, which they they fit in perfectly. Yes. Absolutely perfect fit. The problem is, though, obviously now none of the doors work because you're jammed in in between these buildings. And uh, then that's when old uh, Peter Green shows up, Chad. He does. And uh, he's he's one of those guys who just looks like a bad guy in a movie. And he he does not disappoint in Judgment Night. So, yeah, he pulls Teddy out of the uh, the busted up back window of the RV and. they start getting to work on Teddy. You know, they got to get that money. And of course, Sykes isn't the main bad guy. Cause you know, that would be kind of a waste of his talents. He's better as that right hand man, the, the, yeah. the torturer and not the guy who, who like, you know, gives it to you while you're being tortured. So he's working for Dennis Leary's character, whose name I cannot remember. Fallon. Fall- Jimmy Fallon. He's working for Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> no, Jimmy- <laughs> Yeah, I think it's just Fallon. It may be, I don't know that they ever gave him his first name. So uh in here at RTG we find out the bad guys can make some pretty stupid decisions too. Uh because Fallon decides to enforce his rule even though there's people witnesses. Oh, yeah. yeah, so so Fallon has a rule called thou shall not steal. Right. And I don't think it's his exclusively, but yeah. Yeah, yeah he any any blows poor uh, Michael De Lorenzo's uh, Teddy to, to pieces and not only that is because he just blew him to pieces he also there's another rule that was been broken which is no witnesses and so he knows he, but he broke that rule yeah yeah he broke his yeah. own rule so yeah. he should have yeah. shot himself <laughs> shot himself. but instead he's gonna go try commit uh stone cold murder cold-blooded murder on four guys so i mean this this goes to show you just how ruthless this bad guy is Dennis that Leary's you- character too many rules, man. Yeah. Yeah. And let's let's also not forget that we also have Everlast as one of the bad guys as well. And he not only is a bad guy in this, he's also a on um, one of the songs in the soundtrack. Oh, yeah, he was on the soundtrack. With uh, oh. with with Helmet. But the thing too to think about the soundtrack is a lot of uh, cuz I think Judgment Night has one of the best soundtracks in all of 90s films. But a lot of the songs you don't really hear in, in the film because we'll probably talk about the musical score later, but there, there's so many like collabs in this film. You have like yeah. helmet and ha- house of pain. I think uh, Sonic youth and Cypress Hill. And there was going to be one with a uh, rage against the machine and tool, but supposedly the song was bad. So they scrapped it. But I know Onyx these... is on there too. Yep. yep. And they'll Onyx hit you in is... the face. Slam. Yeah, slam. Yeah. Dadana. And Da-dunna. I wonder, let the boys be boys. I wonder how that happened for this film. Like, what is it about this movie that, that were these all Chicago bands? Or? No, it's like, I think it's just a, almost a gimmick, like the metal, like the alternative slash metal mashup with, uh, okay. cause I like, like living, like living colors in this. Uh, I mean, there's so many, um, Sir Mix-a-Lot even had a, had a duo with, and then later, like probably about 10 years later, you had the Lincoln park and Jay Z. They yeah. had some like a collab too. So, yeah, so collabs aren't, aren't new, but it, it really like this movie might have not have did great at the box office because of the controversies or whatever, but it sure did probably sell a lot of records because I look at this movie, I look at juice, the film juice with Tupac and Omar Epps. Those are two of the best. Like if you want to you like hip hop soundtracks from the nineties. Right. And then also you have, Days to Confuse, which has a lot of like the seventies classics, but they actually used their songs in the film where this film 
uses this musical score to tell the a lot of the story. Like, sure, these songs are playing in the background. You have to like really listen, except at the beginning and at the end. Yeah. But it's st- but still, this is like, and also like the crow. The crow is another one that comes to mind. Yeah. Like one of the right. best industrial. soundtrack. Industrial. Yeah, industrial. Yeah. One and of this, the best soundtracks for that. And era. this was directed by Stephen Hopkins, who did. Uh, if you listen to the score, you'll hear a lot of that Predator Two vibe going on. Yep. Yep, that's um, what they were. Yep, he also yep. directed Predator too, so it makes more sense. So yeah, now uh, Fallon and his boys have a problem because Mike, John, and uh, Ray have all seen this murder, and Frank, of course. Uh, so the guy is now like, okay, they got to get the hell out of there. The RV won't start, so they bust out the windshield. Ray ends up finding the gun that got uh, thrown around when they in the collision and uh, Frank decides he's going to light a fire and just burn the damn RV, which is a good, good move because it puts distance between him and Fallon. Uh, and now Chad though, they, these guys end up at the train yard and pull a little uh, boxcar Willie action yeah. as they uh, hang out with some hobos and those hobos though, uh, they're money grubbers. They're clever hobos. Cause they're not, they're not just going to sit there and be quiet for nothing. Uh, they see the jackets these guys are wearing. They see the watches on their wrists. Uh, they see the uh, level of whiteness that these guys have. And they're like, oh, we're about to get Even paid Cuba, on this. Cuba was white too. Yeah. Even Cuba Cuddy Jr. He, he, he was clean. You know what I mean? He was a clean cut guy. Uh, so He's a college they, guy. He was a college guy. He had that jacket on. They could see that jacket. And one of the hobos you know, specifically targets that jacket. In the film, he's like, I used to be an athlete. I want that jacket. Yeah. So, the collegiate so they, hobo, I called him. Collegiate hobo. Yeah. There's probably, probably lots of those guys. Um, but they, uh, yeah, they, they start to extort money from, uh, from our runaways here. And of course, Ray being the Ray, he's like trying to come up with like a, a good deal. But now's not the time for deals, deals, Ray. No. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're dealing with your life here, as especially when Fallon and Sykes and and the rest of them show up, and then we get the uh, the line that that was on the poster RTG from uh, old Fallon: "Don't move, don't whisper, don't even breathe." And the, oh and yeah, the real yeah. tense scene here uh, as this is all playing out. Yeah, I kind of I kind of had a. Uh, I'm sorry, I I went into La La Land because that's what RTG does sometimes. But it's it's very uh, definitely a um, intense scene when he what what happens all the uh, all the hobos make the noise and they start having the fighting right yeah then, collegiate hobo really wants Mike's jacket and that seems to cause the commotion yeah and, um, and that's and that's really setting up some more foreshadowing because you know when they start to run when everybody goes crazy right is is that where we're going to when everybody like kind yep. of breaks out of the car yep and so we're running and we see we see the jacket we see the college jacket. Cause he even said he was a college guy, you know? Yeah. And he, uh, he shoots and they're like, Oh no, Cooper Gooden Jr. Just died. And of course right. he didn't. Cause right. you know, it was, it was, it was hobo. Right. It was a swerve, which is good though, because yeah, you, you know, obviously, well, you don't know, but you can, could believe that not all of these guys are going to make it to the end. And uh, right. so, and, and the, the common trope is the black guy gets killed first. So, that was real, so a real good was, job with Judgment yeah. Night there. It's kind of playing into that. Yeah, yeah, Judge, yeah, Judgment Night. I think by the time we get done talking to about it, it it's almost surprising to it. I, when I think about it, it's surprising who lives and who dies. Really, I mean, maybe it's not surprising like one person that dies and one person or two persons that live. But I really didn't expect. I think the. I mean, when I the first time I saw it, of course I was rooting for everybody to live probably even Pevin, but I really think that for some reason I, that they just decided to go with the ending they did because you could easily make a case for one or two of these characters meeting their, a different fate in my opinion, at least. And another key thing that happens here is uh, Frank's wallet is found. Yeah. So now Fallon knows where Frank lives. He's seeing pictures of his daughter and his wife and, that's going to certainly come into play uh, as the movie uh, continues. And here's really where the uh, predator music, the yeah, leftover yeah. predator music really became prominent to me. And I'm like, wait, what, what is going on? This sounds like predator. And, you know, I, Chad, you and I talked about, it, I think with on our uh, Michael worth episode where we did us seals too. Anytime a movie can 
remind you about Predator, it's doing something right. It's certainly not a bad thing um, because, you know, you, you get that euphoric feeling that goes through your body. You're like, ah, oh, Predator. Like what a wonder. It's like thinking about your, you know, your kids like learning something new. You're like, ah, oh, what a great feeling. I taught them that. And that's how I feel about hearing anything about Predator. For me, it'd be the first hour of Predator. You know, the first hour what? of Predator uh, things. Yeah, I, I don't really like the chat. I mean, after everybody's dead and it's just Arnie versus um, Kevin Peter Hall, it's just. Oh, my God. I'm, just I'm sad, man. Record scratch no, sound. I, I'm, no, I'm just sad. I mean, I like I like the bond between all the guys, you know, the characters. And then they're all dead. I mean, they're all dead within an hour. And then well, except and, for Arnie. And, and Dutch avenges them. Yeah, he does, but I wish like Jesse the Body Ventura could have lived. I mean, that's all. He's still alive, RTG. Okay, it was yeah, just okay. it was just a movie. It'd be all right. Okay, okay. And you, yeah, you probably should watch yourself because Chad might kill you. All and right, also, uh, and also, kind of like Predator Two more oh overall. What, what's happening? I know, right? right? Stop! Stop this broadcast right now! Stop it right now! Yeah, but yeah, I really do. I, I think Predator Two. I think Danny Glover is pretty awesome. I think it's like it gets a shit rap, and I think it's a, a solid film from start to finish. Where just, Predator is you just a solid love film. Gary Busey. Uh, I think that's the problem. That is true. And you have a was, very you're an, you're infatuated with Gary Busey. I guess I have a forgivable ratings or scoring, or or maybe I'm just like, oh man, wouldn't it be cool to be Gary Busey in 1990? Think of all the cocaine I could have done, and still be alive. And still halfway memorize my lines if I was Gary Busey in 1990. It would be fun. Right? Sure. Moving on, though. Uh, the guys find an apartment building and start knocking on doors to see if they can use a phone. Because they need to call the cops. They're, they're in right. some trouble here. And they need some help. Uh, and they find Clarissa, who does not explain it all. But she helps them out. Because oh. she's, out, she's out there taking her garbage out. Um, putting it down the old chute. And they yeah. plead their case, let her, uh, and she lets them in. We find out she's in, she lives there with her young daughter and a roommate, Rita. Uh, her girlfriend, what you talking about? Come on. Uh, well, just yeah, her roommate. Yeah, that was implied. And look, you had three and a half white guys knocking out the door of a, you know, and they everybody was still scared shitless. So I thought that was pretty hilarious. Did anybody well, else think that was hilarious? If four people came knocking at my door, I wouldn't let them in either. Oh, so yeah. I, I, I'm can, a dem- yeah I get it. I mean, you don't, they don't want trouble. I mean, because trouble is probably everywhere around that neighborhood, right? I mean, I mean yeah. there's trouble outside. I mean, there's trouble everywhere. And everybody's going to keep the doors locked because they're scared as hell. And so they these people, don't they don't see color. They, they don't see, like, socioeconomic status of the people knocking on the door. They just see four motherfuckers knocking at the door, causing trouble, and they're like, "Hell no, we ain't gonna mess help these especially, people." Especially you know? when you got a kid in the house. Oh right, exactly. But it was like two or three people slammed the door. I'm like, "Oh fuck you, go away! Fuck you, go away!" And they just happened to have found somebody that was so okay. You can use the phone, but little do we know, more shit's about to happen. And one of my favorite scenes is, uh, I think, where you're going next, brain is with. Uh, Fallon and his boys run into the gang that's outside the building. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So they're out there and, and obviously it's a little bit of a, a little turf war for a moment. The the head of the, the gang kind of bows up to Fallon, but uh, they cut a deal, Chad. Yeah. Fallon ain't no bitch. And he kind of puts him, he puts it all out there telling him like, he's not afraid of anything that who they are or what, you know, what they could do to him. And, uh, and he's also there. He's willing to make a deal because he's got business with these people. So, uh, I mean, in the end, Fallon gets what he, what he wants. And him and Sykes and the rest of their boys get in the building. And that's when the real work kind of goes down for them. It was kind of surprising to me because it gets a little bit more uh, – this is where the film gets – I know they've already shot one or a couple guys, but it kind of gets more brutal like with their tactics, like what they're willing to do. Right. Yeah. They're just kicking in everybody's door and willing yeah. to do whatever they have to do to get to these four guys. Um, and speaking of the guys, RTG, they've now made their phone call. Uh, but now you're, you're hearing all this there. 
Clarissa lived up at the, on the top floor. So there, there's some time there, but you can hear the chaos of the floors below and we get more of shady Ray. Yeah. Ray decides to pull out his nine milli because, you know, Frank and everybody's like, look, we got to go. These, this, this girl, this lady, this nice lady has a kid and she's got a girlfriend too. So we don't want them to get killed. <laughs> and, and, for, and old shady Ray, He's like, hell no, you know, he's, he, he, Ray just starts, this, this is like his moment where he's just freaking out, right? I mean, this would be when he would need a line of coke to calm him down because he is, he is coked out. He's, he's wigged out. You know, he, he pulls out his gun on it. You know, he pulls out his gun, like kind of on his friends, on his best friends and some random strangers that just helped him. Right. You know, that put their lives at risk, but uh, eventually what uh, Frank talks him down, right? And good old Frank, yeah. Good old Frank, because Frank, there's the voice of reason. Because then the nice lady is like, "Hey, our kids sometimes sneak out to the rooftop, and there's a way off of this this building, or, yeah, or something I, like that." And I don't think that they ever made the call, did they? Because they said like, the, didn't they cut the phone lines or something? Oh, that is true. They yeah, went yeah the phone lines the got phone, cut. Yeah. Because yeah, just yeah. now I'm thinking, yeah, I'm yeah. like, man, if they made the, wait, there would have been 30 people in this building calling the cops with people kicking in doors and shooting guns. Well, so no, that's, I don't, that's I a, don't know, Chad, would they have called the cops? I mean, I mean, is, was, would this be a pro cop? I mean, how long, first of all, how long would it take the cops to get there? Because remember, I think Ray already had a, made a smart ass comment. It's been 13 minutes. Or, didn't, didn't he make a comment? There's been X amount of See, minutes. Like, since I they thought did they call. did make the call before yep. the line got they cut. Might yep. have. I felt yeah. like they, so they that came out with the phone. And and I'm like, the phone doesn't work. Yeah. I could be wrong. I don't know. Well, maybe they tried it again or, or she picks it up because yeah, I he thought may have he tried made to call joke. back. Like, where the hell are you? We called you whatever. Yeah. 13, like, 20 minutes and, ago. 30 and minutes I believe ago. too, like something, a comment that was made around this scene is when Frank reminds uh, Ray about, Hey, you only live like it was, it was either like 10 minutes or 10 miles from this area right here. Because just because you live in a nice part of town, doesn't mean that the not so nice part of town is, I mean, it's just right there by you sometimes, you know, and and, you know, and that's just a thing. And of course, uh, Frank doesn't really give a fuck. Right. I mean, I mean, not Frank, but Ray, I'm sorry. I get all these white guys confused when I talk about them. Yeah. Frank, I think he basically said, these are our neighbors and he's like, these aren't my neighbors. And it's like, you know, we're all, we all live in Chicago. We're all Chicagoans. Yeah. (laughs) First of all, what the fuck are you doing living in Chicago? But I mean, I mean, has anybody ever seen? Is there like a nice part of Chicago? Oh yeah. Anymore? Oh cool. Okay. Northside. Oh, would that be Wrigley Field and there's all kinds wherever of nice the parts Red Chicago, Chicago man. White Sox play. Chicago okay, is a cool. fun. It's a fun city. Okay. Cool. So it's not a Detroit. Would you say? Does Detroit have fun parts in it as well? Had fun boy, but he's dead now. I have not yeah, been there. R.I.P. Okay. So do you think our listeners out there could tell us? Is there anything fun to do in Detroit? Is 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 there anything fun in Detroit? I was in, in Detroit. Detroit. Um, I know there's casinos and uh, oh okay cool and uh, Ford Field. That's what I know. Okay, okay, it's a good start. In okay, a, in a in a nice theater where I saw the Hall of Fame. Uh, that's about all. I wasn't there very long, just for a night. Okay, excellent. But from from what action movies have told me, the greatest villains of all live in Detroit, so you probably don't want to hang out there. Hell no. And a thing where I would not want to hang out is this ladder that is bridged across the <laughs> two buildings. It's a rickety the- ladder, and I, I'm going to tell you, though, as soon as I'm, I'm talking about it right now, my feet are tingling because I am not a, a, a fan of heights. Yeah, and I, yeah, I would kind of. This is m- maybe where me and Ray would be on. Like, no, I'm not going. I'm not going across that thing. Uh, no, I'll just die. Just let me die here as opposed to falling to my death. But uh, Mike and John, they make it over. Um, Frank is trying to get Ray to go, but Ray's like, no, 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 you go first. Um, and as Frank is going across, Chad, that ladder, you know, it may hold teenagers, but uh, full grown men, it's another story. Yeah, it may hold teenagers, but Emilio Estevez, it does not hold. <laughs> he is a very small man. But um, yeah, the, the ladder starts going. And uh, at this point, by the time they get Frank across, the ladder is is 
it's nothing, man. It looks like something you make. Yeah. in in seventh grade, you know, like at a popsicle sticks or something. So there's, there's no shot that Ray is going to make it across this thing. And, and, you know, Ray being the guy that he is, he only cares about himself and he, he's worried about his own skin as we've seen multiple times already. He falls back on what he's good at or what he thinks he's good at. And that's negotiation. So he decides, uh, you know, you guys go, um, I got this, I'm going to do it my way and, and I'm going to negotiate my way out of here. And also like many other things in this film, it does not go as he, as he hoped it would. No, it, it's, it was Ray Wright ever RTG in this film. No. Well, he did commit another one of these uh, cliches where somebody thinks they can negotiate with a psychopathic, crazy son of a bitch. I mean, and, rule number two, right? Yeah, yeah. Don't don't try to negotiate with Dennis Leary. But at, did he do anything right? Um, okay, he what he did right was he got that RV to take out with to have like a guys night out. Yeah, you know, kind of swindling. Yeah, yeah, the swindle, the smooth talking swindler. But other than securing the transportation he did nothing right the entire film everything every line of his every move every breath he fucked up he's a he's a hundred percent fuck up there's no read and you know sometimes like a character like this gets a chance for a redemption arc of some sort but this dude's just a sleazeball He's a sleazeball in 93. He's a sleazeball in 2021. If this character was in a film, he's, he's not, I don't know many fan. I don't know many people that are fans of, of Ray. Well, you know, normally that character, you know, he would get that redemption point where he can't negotiate his way out, but he tries to like get his boys, like save him five minutes. Like, you know, he's going to hold him off for, as long as he can with the pistol so they can get away and he would get that, you know, going down and in, in flames kind of scene, but he doesn't get that. He goes, he goes with his you know, old faithful, the negotiation and it doesn't go well, you know, a done deal ain't a done deal in, in Fallon's world and Fallon dumps him off the top of a 30, you know, story building. What watching that scene too. It's like Fallon, does he even mean to, knock him down i mean when i was watching I it again so. he kind of, he kind of just like flicks him and, and i guess i guess he just didn't have it i guess uh frank wasn't not frank like why do i keep calling him frank what's his name ray uh, ray jeremy pevin i'm sorry I, I get i get these white guys mixed up so so ray goes off i mean he just he just flicks ray a little bit you know he flicks him and he, he falls and and what's the the funny part is right after this scene is when uh, Frank Emilio Estevez's alpha male just comes out, kind of that that stare down he has with uh, Leary, and it, between I mean he's just he's looking and it's like okay the beast has woken up, it's time to get you know it's time to survive the night or you know do what you got to do to make it out, but it's that moment after Ray goes down he just he has that just that that exchange that look. Well, like yeah. the eye of the tiger. You know? Right. I mean, just Ducks kill together. It's Kilsman. Oh, yeah. Quack, quack. Well, ducks go to water. Frank, Mike, and John go to the sewer. And uh, yes, this is yes. where Mike is starting to get a little sick and tired of running. And he wants to take a stand. This, But it almost bites him in the ass, Chad. It does. And, and you know, they, they run through the sewers, but they're being chased. They're close on their tail. They're being shot at in these sewers and, you know, a tunnel isn't a great place to be shot at because there's not many places to hide. Uh, you're not going to find much cover concealment there. So uh, they finally find an opening um, and they have the opportunity to kind of go up this, this tall ladder and, and maybe escape out the top. But, but like, as you said, Mike decides that he wants to make a stand and there were three entries to this, this room and there are three of them. So he thinks that if they all kind of like watch each other's backs and, and, and take one of the entries, then they'll be able to uh, stop whoever comes out and, you know, broken record. It never goes well. <laughs> no. no. Yeah. John freezes up on him. Um, but thankfully our hero RTG Frank is there for the save. 
Yeah, he, he comes in with the tag, and he knocks old buddy. Was his him with like a wooden like nickel or something like that? Was he have? He's got some kind of weapon, right? Or or does he, or does he like lunge at him? Did you say a wooden nickel? Yeah, yeah, a wooden nickel. He had something. It's something he found. What is a wooden nickel? Some kind of weapon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's about the size of a nickel, and it's wooden. How is that going to help anybody in a fight? Yeah, I mean, you have have your lucky wooden nickel, man. I mean, (laughs) mean, people have little trinkets they carry around. But yes, uh, Frank does make the save, and then we get our first bad guy death. Yeah, Mike Mike ends up shooting Sykes. And and then Mike is because Sykes is like, give me the fucking gun, your chicken shit. You're not gonna shoot me. And Mike's like, motherfucker. I, mean, I don't know if he says that, but we'll pretend like it. <laughs> it's like this one's for Ricky, motherfucker. Boom, boom. But you know, shoots him hard. And yeah, I was kind of making a uh, Boys in the Hood reference right there. If you uh, he should have done, I'll make know. you famous reference. I'll make it a <laughs> young gun style shot. Oh his ass. shit! But. But oh, Emilio. Oh, Emilio. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know if it would have. Yeah. You know what? I think Cuba would have done good in Young Guns. Maybe Young Guns 2. Probably Young Guns 3. Could have took Balthazar Getty's spot. Maybe Posse. Posse. Hell, definitely Posse. Cuba Gooding Jr., uh, one year post-Judgment Night, was in a film called Lightning Jack, where he starred alongside Paul Hogan of Crocodile what? Dundee fame. And uh, Cuba Gooding what? played a, a mute hostage taken by Lightning Jack, who became his friend and partner. What? Also starring Beverly D'Angelo. I remember this movie. Yeah. I have no recollection of this. Film. So, okay. So you have, okay. So Cuba, let's, let's just look at, talk about him. We could like start from here. Like that movie Gladiator. Do you remember that? Gladiator was strong. Do I him remember and James it. Marshall. Gladiator was, was my jam. Few good men. He testified Great in that. Soundtrack. Daybreak. Oh hell yeah! Uh, Daybreak was a like HBO made for HBO movie, which is definitely worth watching because more Kelly is her name. Yeah, she gets naked in it, so I like that. And then you have Judgment Night, then Lightning Jack, and then he was on the Bomb Squad and Blown Away, which I did not know. He was an Outbreak. Outbreak was pretty good. We'll skip a few. Jerry Maguire wins an Oscar. Skip a few. See the Murder of Crows is a good. Uh, DTV movie, skip mm-hmm. some, skip some, skip some. Uh, small part in Pearl Harbor, skip some. Uh, s- career starts to go to shit. Does uh, Snow Dogs and Boat Trip, skip some, skip some, skip some more. Dirty uh, Norbit, skip some more. You, you American Gangster. What were you thinking? Yeah, I know, right? What I'm thinking. <laughs> and he starts to do some more DTV. I think uh, Wrong Turn at Tahoe is one of my absolute favorite DTV movies. Does some Kaufman shit. Uh, the Hit List, which is great. Uh, one in the Chamber, which is great. Uh, then he probably gets in trouble for harassing women. His career goes to shit. And that's about it, man. That's Cuba Gooden Jr.'s um, filmography right there. I don't know if he's showing anybody the money right now, but... At one time, he was an A-lister, and this was right before his A. He was almost on the A-list right yeah. now. Again, this was his, his build-up. Uh, his build-up. Boy, it was Boys in the Hood and Gladiator or whatever, but this was the film, almost the film before his supporting actor turn of Show Me the Money won him an Oscar. And he's good in this. You know, he, he's got that stereotypical oh, role. He's got that kind of jock, tough guy role. Um, and, and as we see in the scene that we, we were talking about where they're waiting for Sykes or they're waiting for the bad guys to kind of come in this room, uh, before John drops the ball and Frank steps in to save him, you know, it was really, you know, Cuba's, it was a Mike, it was really Mike's character who was like trying to take the reins of the situation. And then I kind of think that after this happens, Frank is clearly the leader like he's he's calling the shots yeah. at this point because even at, after this scene, Mike is like on board. You know, maybe not on board like totally, but he's like, "All right, boss, what do you want, boss?" You know. Yeah, he he keeps referring to Mike as, I mean, as to Frank. Mike keeps referring to Frank as boss. You know, making that. Uh, I mean, he's he's just dying for uh, for Frank to to go all alpha male and be and be the dominant badass that Emilio is a little. Five foot four, Milo Estevez can be. 
So yeah, with the you got that little bit of dissension with our our heroes, but there's dissension now on the other side um, oh, after Sykes has been killed. Um, so you know they're they're starting to question Fallon and his stupid rules. I mean, obviously he broke his own rule, which is how we got to this point anyway, as we discussed earlier. So that's you know the bad guys are starting to fall apart. Um, but it seems like our our heroes are are getting back on track. Um, and Frank at this point, Chad, he, his whole goal is to get home to his wife and daughter. Yeah. And, and his decisions kind of show you that, you know, he's, he's taking charge, but he's not taking charge in a, in a stupid manner. Like he's trying to get them out of the situation they're in. Um, but uh, you know, nothing has helped him at this point, you know, cause you know, John kind of flipping out the way he flipped out in the last situation. Uh, and then Mike wanting to stay and fight Frank wanting just, he just wants to get out of there. So once they can finally get up to the, uh, get up to the street level, um, you know, and they, they try to catch the bus, it doesn't work. Now it's kind of, all right, what can we do to get the hell out of here? And they, they see a store across the street. There's a, you know, they're assuming there's alarms all over it. So they pay no attention to uh, being secretive and they start smashing shit. And also, too, we forgot to mention that Fallon kills one of his own. You know, he's only got four guys to kill to go after these fellas, and he just lost his best friend. And then he kills the other guy that's not Everlast. And then Everlast has some comment like, uh, I don't think this guy's going to uh, move in. Or, yes, he has uh, some kind of little funny little smart-ass mark. But now you got only two. You got two on three. And, and who knows what would have happened if Fallon would not have killed the other dude right. going into the final battle. So that was a huge fuck up from Dennis Leary. Fallon, that's Fallon's fuck up right there. Killing number his own two, guy. Yeah. yeah number, so, number two. Yeah. So now, yeah, they're, they get into the store, um, but there's more than just alarms. We get some overzealous rent-a-cop who deals with them and he's not listening to what they're saying. He just, you know, he's all Mr. Machismo at this point, And uh, he, he's just gonna, he don't want to hear it. He's the cops are coming, blah, blah, blah. Um, but that's when Fallon and uh, that's Everlast, right? He's the last guy with him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Everlast. He lasts forever or maybe not. Uh, so they show up that security guard gets shot. Who is like the second most hated character next to Ray <laughs> for me. <laughs> so he's shot. Um, and now, okay. So now Fallon is caught up with them. And here again is where Mike kind of steps up, Chad. Yeah, I mean, Mike, to this point, the last several minutes of the film has kind of been an asshole. And, uh, and he, he basically kind of steps in front, in front of the proverbial and literal, literal bullets here. And uh, he takes on Everlast, which was a good move on his part. And it kind of works out for him. He, he, they kind of shoot each other up in a very Tarantino-esque kind of way. And Everlast ends up dying and Fallon, or uh, Mike's just kind of, sitting there bleeding out. Um, yeah. But, it, you know, it also leaves kind of um, Frank and John to uh, help Mike in some way. But, you know, John jumps in trying to save Mike, gets shot himself, and now Frank basically has two bleeding guys to take care of. Right. Right. He's he's down. Two well, guys on the, well, in, on the injured reserve at this point. But it's almost the best thing to happen to these two characters because if you would have had all three of these characters fighting in the finale, right. could have had maybe different fates, but kind of putting the two injured guys in the corner and Frank's like, kind of like, yo, I got this, you know, let's put them in the corner. It almost, almost to me save. I mean, of course, hiding, you know, run, hide, fight. They decide to hide, but, um, I think it's the best thing that happened to the characters because they. Well, yeah. Well, you had to even the playing field for for the big final, yeah. final and, battle. And and I, th- I think too is this is like also like right when the lights too come on, right in the supermarket or wherever they're like wherever they're. I think Frank turned them on. Wrong. Yeah. So when those lights, I mean, everything just like lights up all of a sudden, like because the whole movie except right at the beginning has been like so dark, so grim. You know, I mean, the lights have been off the whole time. They've been running in the dark the whole time. Then all of a sudden, boom, the lights come on and it's just almost like, okay, ball game. You know, this is when it's going to be like the grand finale. And it just, and then we had old buddy who's one of the coolest characters in the film, 
the guy that like the night the night stock clerk, right? He's <laughs> like pushing out the yeah, he's he's pushing, he's doing his job. And then and then probably uh, listening to the Judgment Night soundtrack and he was, oh, really he was probably listening to yeah, he's obviously listening to something off the soundtrack. And then it just would, you know, Larry shoots at him a couple times and he looks like what the fuck and then uh, and thankfully he escapes because I mean, I mean, Larry's character is such a menace in this film and such a like bad human that I was almost expecting him to kill this guy. And I was almost, ex- I, I think the audience, like a test audience, if you would have test audience this movie and they would have killed this poor guy, test audience probably said he, he probably went just a little bit too far. A little bit Luckily, too far. Luckily, he didn't have uh, toilet paper in those pallets. Yes, because if he would have had toilet paper, it would have been, <laughs> oh golly. It, it it would have been terrible, yeah. That 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 been it. That would have been it. And Fallon, you know, as we get to this final fight, you know, he is talking all kinds of shit and talking about going to visit Frank's wife and, you know, reading off the the address on Frank's driver's license. So Frank knows, oh crap, this guy. You know, if I don't take care of him, something bad's going to happen to my family, and that's just fuel to the fire, Chad, uh, for yeah. Frank. Yeah, he's he's creating or he's bringing old Frank back out. You know what I mean? The Frank that existed when he had nothing and no one to think about but himself and his reputation. The Frank that didn't have a family, the the Frank that that fought people at the drop of a hat. And that was the Frank that, you know, he had left behind when he had this family. But now he's he's at a breaking point. And the only way he can protect his family is to dig down deep and pull that old shitty blood covered mask back on and kind of <laughs> turn back into that guy that he used to be that he hated. Um, and he does. And, you know, he's able to kind of fight off Fallon to the point where, uh, you know, they, they both kind of take the big fall. Well, so Frank, the tank, them, man. Close. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Fallon's trying to bring him with him. I mean, and really Fallon, how Fallon dies too. It's not, one of the mo you know more a lot of times we get these very glamorous deaths yeah it's especially for really good villains because in my opinion fallon is an excellent villain okay he's a great bad guy for this film but he kind of just what falls down some stairs and cracks his you know probably breaks his neck right i mean yeah well and and yeah it's since it's not that big glamorous graphic huge ultimate death and it had been so long since I saw it. I thought he didn't die. Yep. And I'm like, yep. do they yep. fight at the house? Does he get yep. to the house? Yep. I'm thinking, oh no, he's going to get to the it house is, and, and Frank's going to have to save his wife and, and daughter. But then yeah, the cops it, show yeah. up and it, it's like, no, yeah. no, he because died. It, it almost looks like he's like Fallon's like, mo- like if you watch that scene, it's almost like Leary's eyes just move for yeah. just a second. And it's like, is that like his last, you know, breath before he goes to hell or, or, or what, you know? And, but yeah, cause like, if you haven't watched the film for a while, or if you've never seen it, you would say, okay, the bad guy's not dead, you know, just yeah. like, you know, even like, like it's about to be like a diehard moment, you know, or, or something, you know, where the last bad guy goes, comes back, but that's it. You know, that, uh, Frank, um, he stops Leary and, you know, kind of just dies. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, the it, scene, I mean, the buildup, the fight, everything's great. I mean, the buildup to it and even the death really is great if you think about it, because not all awesome villains have to have a really glorious death for it to be, right. I guess, meaningful. Right. Probably it, definitely more realistic. Uh, right. Yeah, it fits for the it fits for the script and for the film, because, you know, you didn't have that like the horror movie, the, the, the jump scare at the end. And you didn't have the unkillable bad guy, which Dennis Leary should not be unkillable. He's just, you know, but. If this had been like a Van Damme vehicle, you know, you would have had some big bodybuilder in that role and he probably would have jumped yeah. up and tried to fight you afterwards. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's definitely one of the things I thought about with the movie is like this movie works because of the cast that they have. If you yeah. would have had Van Damme as one of the four friends or even somebody like a, a Dacascos or Jeff Speakman, somebody you knew was a martial artist, it'd be like, right. well, what the hell? Yeah, these guys are going to get through it. But yeah, I mean, Emilio and Cuba, they had some, you know, dip their toe in the action waters a little bit here and there along the way. But you, you that's not what you think of when you see yeah. these guys, that they're action I mean, stars. Right. Emilio always has help, 
I, I guess, you know, like with the Young Guns movies and stuff, that's like an ensemble. And right. really, this 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 cast, like, I mean, you nailed it. Even like the bad guys, we, we only have like four bad guys, but three of those four bad guys are totally awesome. And the one's just some guy I've never even seen before or anything else. You know, I mean, he's, he's just a character actor, but, but I mean, the, even though like Everlast doesn't have a lot of a lines or the other, you know, but he's, he's still, he just looks the part. So yeah. everybody just does a good job of doing what they're supposed to do. And you think about the cast decision, you know, whether it was forced upon them, you know, with guys not accepting the role, and then they had to kind of pay Emilio a bunch of money. If they had gotten some big action star, if they'd gotten Stallone, and you would have, you would have had four villains. You would have had like nine villains, and you yep. would have had these drawn out scenes to where now you've got these four fish out of water guys with with really no, you know, they had a, a pistol at one point, but they got no way to defend themselves really against these bad guys, and you would have had them like setting up you know, intricate contraptions and last stand after last stand fights. And you would have had them beating the shit out of bad guys. And that's not what this film is about. It's about these guys getting stuck in a, in a situation where they, you know, they shouldn't be in, they don't want to be in and they're trying to get the hell out of there. It's a survival, you know, it's a, right. it's not like an action movie. It's a classic survive the night film with a lot of, of horror elements too, because you're being chased by a, like a big bad wolf, but that big bad wolf can't, can be killed. So you're being chased by it's, it, it, it's a chase movie. It's a survive the night movie. It's an action movie. It's got the horror element. It's got the, uh, you know, definitely just, I mean, the atmosphere, the setting, I mean, the setting is, is huge for this film, you know, wrong, you know, wrong turn, wrong place, wrong side of town. You're way out of your element. And the only thing you have going for you, is you want to survive and get home to your wife and kids, your wife and kid. I mean, that's what that's what Frank has. I mean, that's his, he wants to protect his brother. He wants to protect his friend. He wants to uh, avenge his cokehead friend's uh, death. You know, he just wants to make it home. And sometimes that's all you need. And this, and this was the case. And, and it was, and it was also too, we can say, right. It was realistic. I mean, this is not a, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying this movie's re- re- realistic, but it's not like it's super unrealistic. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, anybody could find themselves in a bad part of town. I mean, it's, yes. you know, it's not like, yeah. like Predator where I'm in the jungles. Right. I, I'm not going to be in the jungles probably ever in my life. But uh, could I take a wrong turn and end up in a, in a weird part of town that I've never been in and be terrified because I don't know where, you know, yeah, that could easily happen to just about anybody. So Chad Cruz, your final uh, judgment night thoughts, final judgment. night thoughts, like we've said this whole time, it's a, it's a film that that kind of like leans on realism as much as possible. And, And the more you think of it as something that could actually happen, the more you'll enjoy it because it's, it's not a movie that's sensational in any of the, any of the elements, it, the the action isn't sensational. At the uh, or, or overdone is probably a better term to use. It's, the action isn't overdone. Uh, there's no guys diving and shooting two pistols at the same time, or roundhouse kicking somebody off a building. You know, someone gets thrown off a building, but they're like literally shoved. You know, they like nudged off a building. Uh, there's no, you know, it's just it's a film that kind of like, if it wasn't realistic, it would be terrible. You know, if it was not done well, I guess. So I think that all the elements work for, for a good movie and all the characters are likable and the ones you're not supposed to like are easily hateable. All right. Well, thank you guys. And thank you RTG for suggesting this movie because it was a fun rewatch for sure. Oh yeah. No doubt guys listening, you know, there's a really good blue that looks great. It looks nice and it looks its age. And that's actually a good thing. And this was actually one of the first films along with like Jurassic Park to use that DTS sound in the theaters. Because uh, that's just a little trivia for everybody. But the film sounds good. It looks good. I don't really know a lot of people that have not, that do not like this film, that have watched it. But at the same time, not everybody's seen this film. So if you haven't seen this film or you haven't seen it in a long time, I we strongly spoiled suggest it for you. Check it. Yeah, we just we just spoiled the whole film. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, you know, another movie kind of in the same vein for me is uh, Trespass. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I thought I thought I thought the same thing. Yep. Likable yep. characters, good actors. Every role is kind of like highlighted 
in its own way. And there's no one's out like no one kind of like uh, shines brighter than anyone else. They're all just really good. Yeah, this this would make a yeah okay. So this would make a great double feature with Trespass easily. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That could that could be our final thoughts. There you go. There you go. And if you'd like to hear more thoughts about Judgment Night, our good friend Christy Petrillo actually gave this uh, movie the No Surrender Cinema treatment on BulletproofAction.com. So just getting another cheap plug in for the site. But speaking of Christy Petrillo, Chad, he will be joining us next time where we are going to cover a Jackie Chan movie that is picked by our Twitter followers. Wonderful. Those always work out well. Yeah, we're going to have the fan pick a Jackie Chan movie. And uh, if you want to be a part of that, at this point, when you're hearing this, we've probably already had the vote. But <laughs> let me tell you what, we're going to be having another uh, social media interaction coming up in July. So get with us. Follow us on Twitter at Bulletproof Pod and at Bulletproof Action on Instagram and Facebook. It, not only do you get to find out, you know, the latest updates when the new pods drop, you also get to interact and, and help shape the show. So again, Bulletproof Pod on Twitter, Bulletproof Action on Instagram and Facebook. And yeah, be interesting to see which which one we're covering. We'll find out here soon. All right. Well, thank you guys. And thank you for listening. And as always, stay tuned for more of the Bulletproof Podcast. listening to the Geekscape Network.